This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button or whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, from the Canadian uh, Director of Operations for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, Scott Crawford, from Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. We're joined tonight by a special guest. He's a former Major League Baseball starting pitcher. Spent his entire career at the Philadelphia Phillies. Check this stat out. Career fielding percentage, perfect. <laughs> 1.000. That's pretty incredible. After retiring as a player, he became the chairman of Combs Capital Partners and also became an analytics guru, at least in my opinion, for player development and draft analysis. He's worked with pitchers, quarterbacks, and, and we're, we're definitely going to ask him about that in the Q&A. So we got pitcher Pat Combs here tonight. Pat, thank you for joining us. Hey, great to be here, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So tonight we're going to be uh, debating the greatest World Series winners of uh, 2010 to 2019. If you've seen our prior shows, we've done the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. So we've been working our way up here. And uh, as always, afterwards, we'll have a Q&A with Pat about his career. But we're going to start this out with the 2012 San Francisco Giants. Yeah, that's uh, that's my team. Uh, I think the best uh, team of the uh, that decade, the best World Series winning team. I mean, they were in the middle of winning three out of five World Series. Um, easily team of the decade, but the uh, the 2012. I mean, they they swept the Tigers four straight. Not even a competition for them. They 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 their ERA is 1.49. The Tigers ERA was 4.11. Um, they just shut down the Tigers. And and you think, well, were the Tigers any good? Well, the Tigers had four hitters that three, hit 300 in the regular season, and five of their starters in the ERA under four in the regular season, and the Giants swept them. So the Giants had everything under control that series. Sandoval, the big panda guy, was, you know, MVP. Um, and their their starters were just untouchable in the World Series. A 1.78 ERA led by that that guy who's got to be like the pitcher of the, that half that decade, Madison Bob Gartner. And if you think about some of the guys the Giants or the Tigers had on their team, I, I mean, they had the best two starting pitchers, probably two future Hall of Famers, and, and Verlander and Scherzer. And they gave, they crushed them to a 7 ERA, where in the regular season, those two guys had a 3.3 ERA. So Verlander and Scherzer didn't have it, and, and the Giants hit them all over the place. And that's why I think, you know, the, the Giants sweeping the Tigers and sweeping a good Tigers team um, is, is the best. So, Pat, we kind of look at the Giants roster. There weren't a lot of uh, big names there. I think Posey was there already and Baumgartner, of course. But they they, they kind of flew under the radar and go in there and they were expected to lose. If I recall correctly, Detroit was picked to win that series. So is what are your thoughts on the, the 2012 Giants? And I mean, Baumgartner and him the playoffs, what do you think of him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those uh, situations where, you know, great pitching that was on, you know, overcame the, the bats of the Tigers. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of history of, of great pitching winning those series, especially when those guys are, are pitching as well as uh, the Giants staffed it at that time. I remember Baumgartner was just unhittable. You know, Lincecum was was uh, had had a great series, and so yeah. And I think the other part of that too was just the, the the presence that the Giants had coming off all those playoff years. You had some really battle hardened veterans, guys that had been through the fire, you know, in previous playoff series. So uh, I know the Tigers came in as the hotter team at, the, at that moment probably the reason they were, you know, picked to win that series, but, but that pitching for the Giants was just, uh, was just too much. And uh, as we often see, 
especially in playoff games, right, how important pitching is, how it can take over a game and dominate. And uh, certainly the Giants did that. So, yeah, great, great team. The 2012 Giants coming off of again, as uh, Scott pointed out, you know, some, some really strong playoff years previous to that. And I think those those guys just learned a lot from those experiences. And and uh, you get into those, uh, you know, uh, you get into a World Series, and you've got that kind of playoff, uh, you know, presence under your belt. Well, that's a that's a huge advantage. How does a like a starting pitcher? Let's take somebody like um, Kurt Schilling, or or as we mentioned, Baumgartner. They they're very good in the regular season. I mean, they're all star caliber players. But guys like them, when they get to the playoffs, they're unhittable. They take it up a notch. Like some, we see other pitchers that just get pounded. I mean, is is there any reason that you might know of for that as being a former pitcher? No, I think there's just a history of guys like that that uh, you know enjoy that that role. Uh, they kind of have the feeling of we're gonna I'm gonna put the club on my back and, and you know we're just gonna go out and win. And uh, you know certainly when I played with Kurt, that was the attitude that he had. He he had the ability to take it up a notch and really, uh, you know, you, you just watch his performances in the playoffs and he uh, he just showed up big when those uh, when those circumstances happened and. You know, I, I think of today like guys that you know uh, Scherzer and Verlander for sure. You know, those are those types of pitchers, right? They just show up on on those big big days and and they're at their best. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, it's hard to pinpoint behaviorally or or um, what it is that causes that. But you know, you, you just watch guys that have a history of doing that. I mean, back in my day, it was like watching you know Tom Glavin and, and Greg Maddox and, and Smoltz do the same thing, right? It was like when playoff time hit, those guys were at their best. And, uh, man, you, you had to have uh, an offense that could really handle uh, that type of pitching, and especially when those guys at that time were getting two or three inches off the plate. So <laughs> those guys were hard to hit. <laughs> you know, when they're right. on, they're great, they're dominating, and then they still get, you know, pitches off the plate called for them. It was just uh, difficult situations for hitters. Let's go 2016 Chicago Cubs. Yes, that's my team of destiny here. I've been at Wrigley Field since 1916, and then – in 2016, they were coming off a third place 2015 season, and in 16 they posted a record of 103 and 58, winning their division. And some pieces kind of started falling in place for these guys uh, under the wing of Joe Madden, former skipper of my beloved Rays. Uh, the Cubs kind of clicked together and put together a great run in 16, where everything seemed to fall into place. Um, so piece one, Joe Madden getting him after the 2014 season. He was sort of known as like a player's coach, somebody thinking outside the box, Zen, a lot of stories about him and how to motivate players. So that kind of changed the the dynamic of the, you know, stagnant Cubs there. And then piece two, Yale graduate Theo Epstein, who was tasked together, you know, putting together a championship team. He had already worked wonders there in Chicago or in um, Boston uh, with the Red Sox. And, and uh, broke down their historical demons. And then they had a great uh, piece that Chris Bryant came there in 2015, I think. It was his, I think it was his rookie season. He had made the All-Star uh, game in his first season, named Rookie of the Year. And in the World season, Series season, he ended up winning the MVP award. But uh, you had great pitching with the Cubs that year. You'd be facing off against 19-game winner John Lester, 2.44 ERA. 18-game winner Jake Arrieta, 3.10 ERA, and Kyle Hendricks, 16 wins. Um, he had a role as Chapman. I mean, he was, he was throwing like 100 miles an hour. He had a 1.01 ERA. 
Uh, I think he had 15 or 16 saves that year. The offense was solid. Uh, they were third in runs, RBIs that year. But uh, kind of in the middle of the pack, a batting average and, and home runs, they weren't like an overly powerful team. But uh, Chris Bryant led the team that year with 39 home runs and a 292 batting average. But uh, you had a more formidable Anthony Rizzo that year and uh, my boy Ben Zobris from the Rays. But uh, their travels through the postseason, nothing to sneeze at. Uh, beat the Giants, beat the Dodgers pretty handily both series. And then when they won the World Series, they beat uh, Cleveland in seven. And uh, there you have it. That it, it kind of took away all the, you know, no more Bartman memories, no more bringing Billy Goats to Wrigley, no more curse of Leon Durham with the misplay. Uh, just, a, just a team that everybody seemed to root for. And then once they won, everybody went back to hating them again. We should have known it was going to happen. Back to the Future 2 told us that in 2015 yeah. the Cubs were going to win. So the that almanac. was there. The Almanac. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, the old Almanac. So, Pat, yeah, we, we come to you here. Paul mentions the curse of the Billy Goat, Steve Bartman. A lot of added pressure on that team. Uh, they bring in Joe Madden, who Paul and I have been in Tampa for a long, long time, so we're very familiar with him. I'm not sure if maybe – the team won despite him or because of him, because if you see what's happening with the Angels now. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts on uh, the Chicago Cubs? They were a team of destiny, solid pitching staff again. Yeah, yeah, I think Paul nailed it. You know, just there's certain teams that it's almost kind of hard to explain how all the pieces come together, uh, but it did, right? So Theo Epstein obviously had, had a great run there with the Sox and comes over and, and builds, uh, you know, a championship club, you know, hires Joe Madden. Of course, Joe uh, – uh, I think was in the kind of the, you know, the, the perfect position to come in after having won and did what he did it with Tampa. So, you know, proven commodity there. So, when, you know, you think of, of teams that have great leadership and, um, you know, you think of, uh, of, of the, uh, oh gosh, who's the current manager now? Uh, Ross, um, you know, he was the, the catcher at that moment. And then you, so you've got him and you've got Zobrist who was a, a veteran, you know, who had won and proved himself up. So you had, and then that, you know, the pitching staff just kind of all came together. As Paul mentioned, Arietta just went off and had a tremendous playoff season. But, yeah, I think if there's any one team you, you can kind of look back on and go, boy, leadership made a difference. It, it certainly did for the Cubs that year. And um, yeah, and they put all the pieces together. And, um, I, if, and I remember correctly, too, Paul, that that was the series where uh, was it the Cubs were, were losing and, that, and the rain came. Is that the, the one where they yeah. came back? They had that two-hour delay yeah. and they came back. and it, yeah. yeah. Total yeah, momentum so like, changer. Yeah, that's right. So you look back and you go, wow, there was just so many crazy weird things that happened for that all to come together, but it did. It was almost just that magical moment that, um, you know, if you give me a little attitude here that, that you know, when, when God ordains something, it's hard to get in the way of that. So I think that was one of those things where you just go, you know, it's just one of those God-ordained things that uh, the Cubs finally finally got their their championship. Well, and you mentioned God ordains. Uh, you, I bring up Ben Zobris, man. If you wanted to win in the, the, the 2010s, you had to have Ben Zobris on your team. <laughs> That's right. Captain just Clutch, man, right? Clutch and, and, and just under the radar, too. Like, I, baseball teams, I think, respected him and knew what he could do. But, like, it's not like he's a household name outside of Tampa and Chicago and a few other places. But yeah. great player. Let's move to the, the 2018 Boston Red Sox. All right, the Red Sox, uh, led by Alex Cora, 
Um, 108 and 52. 108 is the wow. sixth highest total of wins ever in a uh, in a major league season. Uh, when you look at this team's lineup, they were very solid from top to bottom. You got Mitch Moreland at first, Eduardo Nunez at second, Alexander Bogarts at short, Rafael Devers at third. Um, you got uh, Bianteni at in left, Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, Mookie Betts in right, Sandy Leon and Christian Vaquez platooning a catcher. And then you got the powerful J.D. Martinez at DH. Um, Betts, Martinez, Moreland were all all-stars. This offense ranked first in runs with 876. Uh, they were first in hits. They had the most doubles, third in stolen bases, number one in batting average with a scorching 268, which was nine points above second place. Um, Betts, he won a bounty crown with an, with an average of 348. He also won a gold glove and a league MVP award. Martinez was second in average with 330. Uh, Martinez was also second in the homers and first RBIs, so he was not that far off of the Triple Crown. Um, from the mound, this team was very good as well. You had Rick Porcello, David Price, Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez. They were all double-digit winners, all had losses in the single digits. Uh, Sale was an all-star, along with uh, Craig Kimbrell out of the bullpen. Uh, Seventh-best ERA in the, in the entire majors, fourth-most Ks. Uh, David Price, he had, he had a wonderful story, wonderful comeback player of the year. Um, and then in the postseason, uh, the Sox, they, they took out the hated Yankees in four games, uh, outscoring them 27 to 14. Next round, they had to face another 100-win team, the Astros, took them out in just five games. In the World Series, it was much of the same. They took out the Dodgers in five, defeating Clayton Kershaw twice, so not too much drama for this team, just pure dominance, uh, 2018 Red Sox. So, Pat, you, you know what I got to ask you about this one. Did they did they cheat, in your opinions? <laughs> I mean, I look at the Manfred rolling. We got sending electronic communications to the dugout um, for stealing signals. What, what are your thoughts on that? Man, Michael, I, I would say that uh, if, if you weren't cheating that year, you probably weren't trying too hard. I mean, it was just one of those situations, right? I mean, every club is cheating. It's just really who's who's going to get caught, who does it better than the next club. I mean, it was that was uh, it was kind of like the steroid era, right? I mean, if you if, if you really were serious back then at hitting forty or fifty home runs and you weren't taking steroids, you're you you know you're out of luck. So, yeah, it's um, you know if you think about that. 2018 Red Sox team, probably not a more complete team in, in baseball, right? And that and I'm talking probably in decades. And they and they put it all together. Again, great leadership, you know, throughout the clubhouse, uh, a lot of great veteran presence. But you also had some of those young rising stars that Brian talked about, uh, like Bogarts that just, uh, you know, came in and, and had tremendous seasons. And so, yeah, it, you know, that was a dominant performance. And I, it was almost one of the situations where you, you had a little doubt as Boston progressed through the season that this was going to be a, a World Series-type team. And then the way they dominated the playoffs, I mean, it was just uh, absolute domination. So, yeah, I, I think one of the better teams, obviously, that we've seen last last few decades. So a, a question I want to ask you, Corey, with, with these Red Sox is, they win the World Series in 2018, and then we come back and look at them in 2019 – not a very good year for them. I know Joey Cora, the manager, was suspended. I mean, does the manager make that much of a difference, or, or were there just other factors, maybe, in your opinion? 
Well, I, I think it, managers do make a difference. And I, I think that, uh, you know, Cora has, has been described as, as a really great player's coach, you know, and so when you, when you have a, a shakeup like that and it, it, it can really shake the foundation for a lot of those players. And uh, yeah, I, I, it was just one of those shocking things, you know, that uh, occurs and it, 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 a team, if, if they don't recover quickly, sometimes that can, can really lag and, and uh, really have an effect on a, on a team for, for much longer. And I think that's what we saw with the Red Sox. So uh, yeah, it was just one of those shocking situations. I don't think the players were, were well prepared for and they didn't handle it. Well, let's move to our final team tonight. That's going to be the 2019 Washington Nationals. So I picked the wild card team here tonight. Uh, I like to call them the comeback kids. Record of 93 and 69 during the regular season, which isn't spectacular, but it was enough to get them in. Uh, managed by Dave Martinez. So let me jump right to the playoffs here. Winner take all, one game, wild card game against the Brewers to, to actually, you know, technically get into the playoffs. Um so they're down three to one in the bottom of the ninth against all-star closer Josh Hader, and they score three runs and win. Huge comeback. And we go to the second round. They're taking on the number one seeded Dodgers, probably the number one payroll in baseball, if I'm recalling correctly, Dodgers. Um, they're down two one in the five game series. They win game four at home, and in game five, they score two in the eighth inning to tie it. And then they win it in extra innings with a four run tenth. Another comeback. Then they sweep the Cardinals. Uh, so that went pretty easy for them and then they take on the the 2017 cheating world series winners i'm just throwing it out there the houston astros so they're down three games to two in this seven game series they go on the road they steal game six and and game seven coming from behind in both games they win them both they win the world series um all of you talked about starting pitching. You can't mention the Nationals without talking starting pitching. Strasburg was 18-6 and six that year. Another guy that was mentioned earlier, Scherzer, he was on this team now. It was a 2.92 ERA. Corbin had a .667 win percentage. They were eighth combined in team ERA. So just a great pitching staff. I mean, they could hit two. They got Juan Soto. That's been a big name after the trade deadline this year in baseball, of course. Um, Anthony Redden, uh, 34 homers. Him and, and Soto both had over 30 homers. Uh, Trey Turner and Victor Robles, these guys could steal 63 stolen bases. So they had some speed, which is something you don't see too much of anymore. And then uh, they had Rendon at 319 batting average and Howie Kendrick at 344 batting average coming off the bench. So I think they had a good combination of, of hitting and pitching. Um, I think they got hot at the right time. I, I think that, that was a big part of them winning it. So, um, but I, I like I like comeback stories. So that's why I picked the Washington Nationals tonight. So Pat, uh, just an amazing pitching staff. Strasburg was at his peak, I think, at that point, and as was Scherzer. So, what are your thoughts on the the Nationals closing out the the, the 2010s there, and uh, just their team in general? Yeah, Michael, I think you picked a great one. It's you know. You think about teams that you said it exactly right. Teams that get hot at the right time, we always see that in the playoffs, right? And some of those teams don't win the World Series, but this one did. I mean, the, right. the 2019 Washington Nationals was probably one of the more exciting teams we've seen in baseball history in terms of the way they came back consistently in those games. And yeah, I think it was, uh, you could almost say, one of the more unlikely World Series winners in World Series history. But uh, wow, what what a spectacular way that they did it, you know, and, and uh I found myself rooting for them uh, at, at the end, uh, you know, towards the end of the World Series, just thinking, wow, look what these guys 
were able to accomplish. And again, that great blend of veteran presence, especially with the pitching staff, and then some of those young stars that came up, especially at the end of the season and, and performed so brilliantly, you know, going back to Soto, but there were, there were a couple of other role players that had, you know, tremendous uh, playoff series and uh, propelled that team. So yeah, really exciting team to watch and a, a lot of fun. So uh, th this is a, this is a tough one tonight. You guys have a good battle. This is good. And, and another one where they weren't picked to win uh, in the World Series. Obviously, Houston coming off a title two years ago, and they were still very good in 2018, uh, were picked to win that series. So upset there. So let's uh, move into our vote tonight, guys. As usual, cannot vote for your own. Brian, you got first vote tonight. Well, yeah, I, I think that the, that the added pressure that the, that the Cubs had to face, I mean, with all that tradition in their face, all the, you know, the curse, all that stuff, I, I feel like that, that one just jumps out to me as just a more impressive feat for them to win the World Series. I'm going to go with the Cubs. Okay. Scott? Uh, I can't go with those Red Sox because Alex Corrin is Houston days. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the, the old Nationals, the old Montreal Expos. Let's go with the Nationals. Paul? I don't really, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel love towards any of these. I, I like the argument you put with the Nationals. I, I feel sorry for you tonight. So I guess I'll go with your, uh, your Nationals. <laughs> Jeez. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's sympathy. Yeah, it's sympathy. Despite the fact that I'm wearing a Red Sox hat tonight, <laughs> which I got in a garage sale for 50 cents. Trying to too expand much. my my hats here, Made but too much for it. I, I'm not picking the Red Sox tonight. Um, I love the Giants, and if I was picking team of the decade, I would definitely I would pick the Giants. But I have to also go with the team of destiny tonight, which is the Chicago Cubs. Um, I guess throw a little love to Paul since he was throwing it to me, Scott. <laughs> I think I voted for your team on our last World Series show, so <laughs> so I, I can move on from that. But uh, so that gives us two each. Pat, you can break the tire. You can vote for one of the other teams. Oh, man. No pressure. <laughs> Golly, yeah. I, you know, I love, I love each, of the, each of the stories is great, right? You got the, the Giants, which was, uh, you know, just a tremendous team and great pitching. And, um, you know, obviously the, the, the Nationals was just a fun team to watch and, and uh, did some amazing things. Hey, the Red, Red Sox, obviously, that, that dominating year. But I, I'm with you. I, I, I think uh, I'm going to go with the Cubs tonight. I, I think that was a team of destiny that um, and they broke all those curses. And what what a way to do it. The way they did it was uh, was a lot of fun. And I just remember, you know, David Ross talking about after that series. Remember that I'll never forget that interview um, with how much he talked about the love of that team and how they just embraced each other and felt like they were going to overcome all these obstacles and they did it and uh you know he gave one of the more memorable post-game speeches i've ever heard and not not a surprise he's managing today right so uh yeah i'll, I'll go with the cubs so I went for the 2016 chicago cubs that's for you paul paul i am going to give you first question but i, I want to ask pat here about his book real quick so tell us about your book uh more than the score how parents and coaches can cultivate virtue in youth athletes and, and where people can buy it. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, during COVID, um, you know, I had a little bit more time on my hands and, and I had called a friend of mine who was, he's a current author and 
I was just running some ideas by him. I said, hey, I've got a, a book I think you should write. And, um, and he said, well, well, tell me about it. Tell me your ideas. And so we, after about 10 minutes, um, you know, he, he stopped me and said, uh, no, Pat, you're going to write this book. I said, well, dude, I'm not an author. I don't even know where to start. How do you write a book, right? <laughs> so, and so he said, no, no. He goes, listen, everything you're bringing up, the, the subject of helping parents and coaches really keep their focus on the right things, keep their perspective on why sports is such an incredible platform to teach kids, you know, and to teach them the things of life, the, the character skills, all the things that uh, I'm sure all of you guys learn, you know, playing, playing sports. And uh, if you have, you know, good coaches or great coaches, man, there's things that we took away from the game that I know have helped me for the rest of my life. Rather, whether I look back at, at being a, what a great team player looks like or, you know, how to sacrifice for the betterment of the team and your, your teammates. Um, you know, just all the character things I learned that have, that have uh, helped me become a better, better husband, a better dad, a better coworker. You know, so it's uh, things I learned uh, on the sports fields that, that now uh, I can attribute to uh, successes later in life here. So I felt like, you know, as, as, um, as I've continued coaching youth baseball, still coach an elite team here, the Dallas Patriots, uh, in, in the area that I live in. And it's a national elite travel team. I mean, we, we play all the big tournaments and stuff, but I've, I've really noticed this shift over the last probably 15 to 20 years to more importance placed on the scoreboard, uh, more importance placed on getting my kid a scholarship, you know, so I've got to showcase my, my kid's talents. Um, you know, it seems like there's just more pressures around the game than, than what I had when I was a kid. And uh, I just wanted to write uh, about our experiences. My, my wife and I, Christina, raising our three sons, uh, Carson, Connor, and Casey. And, uh, you know, we, we felt like as parents, we, we made a few mistakes along the way, but we did a lot of things right. And uh, I've had more parents ask me, how did you guys negotiate all this crazy club ball and travel ball? And, and, and your kids have kind of made it out okay. They're all, you know, pretty successful now and, and doing well. And uh, I said, well, you know, these are the same stories I keep telling. Why don't I just write them down? And, uh, and that's where the, the idea for the book came. And my buddy Kent Evans helped me uh, – uh, to, to get it done. And, and so uh, here we are. But yeah, just the, really a lot of my, my experiences. And I share a lot of the stories of what our boys went through and what we did to help them, you know, try to keep the, the right perspective on the game and, and learn the things now that they're applying in their lives. And I assume you can get on Amazon and, and I did see it on Amazon earlier. So yeah, thank you. It, yeah. yeah. Barnes and Nobles and all, all whatnots. Yeah. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any major bookseller, yeah, retailer, you can find it. And, uh, yeah, I think when we, we launched it, uh, it climbed up to a number one seller on Amazon. So that was really cool to see, you know, in, in that particular category, parents uh, who I think were, were hungry for that type of information. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, been a great success and just really appreciate the people who have, who have read it. Excellent. So we're going to go with Paul Scott Bryan. Pat, I was reacquainting myself with some of your stats and career, and I, you can blame Casey, your son, for posting this and reminded me about this, but Mets game, 1990. Oh, yeah. I, I I watched this again. It's been years since I've seen it, but, man, it looks like somebody's fast-forwarding through this video. As soon as you hit Doc Gooden, he is coming at you, and as soon as he steps forward, you're coming off the mound. Did that go the way you expected that to go, or was that uh, just a heat-of-the-moment thing there? Yeah, Paul, well, you, 
You guys probably, you know, you've seen enough brawls to know that usually something, you know, starts at some precipitates, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, and, and Doc wasn't known as a as a headhunter. He, he, I think, was known more as a guy who would knock guys off the plate for for a purpose. But yeah, we we were in uh, in Shea Stadium that night. They were in a playoff hunt. We we were not, but they were. You know, every game meant something to them, and, uh, and we got off to a great start against Doc. I think we built a three nothing lead. Um, I think at that time when when the uh, when the brawl occurred, it was maybe three to one. But yeah, he was. So we had uh, hit a couple of home runs, um, and then he I think was really trying to brush Tommy Her back, and then hit him in the ribs. And the next inning, John Cruck hits a home run, and then Dickie Thon got hit. If you guys remember the Dickie Thon story. Uh, his career almost ended with that, that Mike Torres fastball to his eye when he was playing with the Astros. Right, so, right. Yeah, Dickey was always really sensitive with pitches inside. And if he got hit, man, it was almost guaranteed he, he would think somebody was throwing at him. So, uh, but he got back to the dugout and he was hot. He was he was really hot because, you know, both times the, the brushback pitches that got away, I think, from Doc uh, hit our guys. And, um, and it was after home runs. So, um, you know, it was uh, with, with Doc leading off the fifth inning, uh, our manager, uh, Jim Fergosi, said, hey, he's leading off. Let's let's go ahead and, and take care of him first pitch. You know, I, I, I didn't make a play, though. I said, hey, hey, uh, Jimmy, we're, you know, we're winning. You think we can come back and maybe hit him in the seventh? He goes, no, nah, let's not take the chance. He may not be in the seventh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was trying to delay at least so we could try to get the win. But, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, the duty of, of any pitcher is to protect his players. And, and so, uh, you know, I – I knew that was what I needed to do, but also was, was never going to try to injure, you know, an opposing player, try to hit him up high or anything like that. So I, I did aim at his hip. And, uh, yeah, you can see, I think, Paul, you saw right when I was throwing the pitch, he was he was pretty much ready for it and started coming out. <laughs> so uh, and my plan was to meet him halfway because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember back, you know, Darren Dalton was pretty pretty big dude. And yeah. uh, so, I, I mean, I think – Obviously, we all anticipate what was going to happen. And so uh, I met Doc halfway, and I saw Dutch right on his tail. And I, I thought, man, he's going to hit both of us and clobber both of us. So I went low to try to tackle or wrap up Doc. And then, of course, uh, Darren got on top of him and got, I think, five or six licks on his head before, uh, before the benches got there. So, yeah, Doc definitely got the brunt of that one. Uh, Pat, I got, a, I got a question about way back in the 1988 Baseball World Cup. Remember playing in that, pitching in that? Oh, and the, uh, you meant the, the Olympics? No, it was the – they called it the World the World Cup. You played Cuba in the gold medal game. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's prior to the Olympics, yeah. Yeah, yep. just prior to the Olympics. You had Jim Abbott, Tino Martinez, yeah. Robin Ventura all on your team. That's uh, right. Yeah. Uh, what do you – playing Cuba must have been amazing. I know the results weren't what you wanted, but tell, tell, tell us something about playing Cuba in, in 88 and what those those games were like. Yeah, it was really incredible, Scott. And that that was uh, obviously the World Cup for them was their Olympics because that was the year that Cuba boycotted the uh, Seoul Olympics. So we met in the World Cup in Italy. And, um, yeah, we, we both got to the final game, obviously, for the gold medal there. Uh, and this was the, the tournament just before you fly over to Seoul to play in the Olympic Games. So it was really our, our kind of a tune-up for us, but it was, you know, everything for them. And uh, we, had a, uh, we had a lead going in the ninth inning. Uh, Cuba tied it in the ninth. And uh, then it ended up beating us in extra innings. Uh, so it was an incredible game, um, back and forth all, all night. And uh, it was interesting that when we started the game, uh, a lot of the fans were were rooting for Cuba. 
And by the end of the game, they had kind of turned and started rooting for us. There were there were a couple of bad calls that occurred uh, that went against us. And so the fans kind of kind of came around to, to uh, rooting for us at the end of the game, and it was kind of a pretty pretty surreal feeling. But yeah, and I, I'll, I'll remember the uh, the post game was was even a bit more interesting too. So you know we we lose an extra innings. It was just a hard fought you know very emotional game, and uh, the Cuban players come right over to our dugout waving the Cuban flag right in front of our dugout. And uh, Billy Massey uh, takes off out of the dugout. And I think it took three or four of us to tackle him <laughs> to not start an international international incident there in Italy. Uh, yeah, that would have been, uh, that would have been bad going right into the Olympics. Right. So um, yeah, so it was, uh, it, it was a great series. That Cuban team, um, they probably had five or six players that, that would have easily been major leaguers. And in fact, a couple of them ended up defecting and came over uh, you remember Levon Hernandez had a great, you know, split finger fastball. Had a great career. Uh, Omar Linares, their third baseman, I think would have been an all star in the major leagues. This this guy was just unbelievable. Um, they had, uh, you know, some guys that had been around a while. They had a guy named Kindelon that was their first baseman. That um, I think he hit, you know, 40, 50 home runs a year in amateur games. You know, so called amateur games. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just a a great team, great experience. Um, yeah, and I, it, it, you know, kind of flashback to when we, we went over in 87 and played Cuba on their home soil. We were the first American team to play in Havana in 27 years. And we actually won two out of five games against them on their home soil. And so we went into that game in Italy thinking, you know, this, this, was, uh, this was kind of the rematch of that series. And unfortunately, we came out of losing end. But, you know, those games, that, that series with the Cubans in Havana, that game in Italy, I mean, we went into the into the uh, Olympics thinking, you know, we we can play with the greatest team in international ball at that time. The Cubans dominated international play, and uh, we knew going into the Olympics after having played them the way we did that we were ready to go. We were ready to win a gold medal. So uh, we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Um, analytics, one of your things that you're very good at. Are there any players that we would know that maybe you would like? run analytics on or scouted in whether it's uh, football or baseball. And what are your thoughts on analytics? Do you think that it's maybe, well, it's definitely changed the way the game is played, but do you think maybe it's good for the game or bad for the game? Yeah, Michael. I, so um, to clarify, it's, it's I've been working on the behavioral analytics uh, field for, for about 25 years. And so, um, yeah, when I was done playing ball, uh, I met a guy who was a, a research guy, a psychotherapist by trade in College Station, Texas, of all places. And he had this tool that was uh, behavioral in nature. It's 360 based. So it's, you know, you, you would take it on yourself, but you'd have also teammates and coaches and other people that know you take it on you as well. And so when I went through it, um, I was pretty fascinated by the results. You know, I'd never had anybody give me feedback the way this guy did. Um, and so I was interested enough to go, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. I think, you know, a lot of application in sports. And I took it to the guy I felt like, you know, would help me to, to figure if it had value or not. So went out to California, met with my buddy, Tom House. And Tom uh, put a couple of players through it. And he said, man, where'd you find this thing? This is really an uh, incredible tool. It's going to help me as a coach with the guys that I'm helping develop. It's going to just speed that process up because I'll now kind of know what's underneath the hood behaviorally to help them make adjustments. And so uh, we began running uh, the profiles uh, on guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. And, and so we start out with quarterbacks. That's who uh, Tom House 
had, had been working with at that time. We ran, ran it on a number of pitchers as well. Um, and so we started working with these guys and it was, uh, it was amazing the results that we were getting. And, uh, I'll never forget sitting down with, you know, with Tom house and he's run, ran Tom Brady through it. And we sat down and he's going over the data with, with, uh, with Brady and, you know, and, and he's kind of pushing back on a couple of things. And, and, uh, it was funny the way Tom house handled it. He said, well, well, TB, look, this is, this is not my data. This is not what I'm, I'm telling you, this is your, your data on you. And this is also your teammates and your coaching staff. So, you know, I just want to know what you want to do about it. And so it was really kind of cool to hear, you know, these, these high performing athletes uh, see some data that, that could really help them move the needle in terms of their performance. And that's what, uh, what we started doing. So we had some success there and I just took it to some clubs and said, look, it's uh, to me, there's, you know, when you guys are looking at personality profiles, tell me how that's helping you evaluate players. And they can never get to the point where they say, yeah, this is really what's going to help bottom line performance, help a guy improve. All they were doing was getting more information about a particular player, but it really wasn't telling them, I think, the right things to help them move the, move the dial in terms of performance. So we started uh, doing analytics with uh, draft analysis, and we took it to the NFL, did some of that work with the Cowboys and some other clubs there. And, and then we've worked with uh, about a dozen Major League Baseball teams. So, uh, and I think that the greatest use, obviously, is player development. Once you draft that player, how are you going to help them improve and get to the big leagues? And what, what you often find is uh, it's not the, the competency side, it's not the talent side that keep these players from getting to that ultimate goal. It's their behavior. And so there are certain behaviors that they, that they uh, do well, and there are certain things that get in their way. And, and I would, we start labeling those uh, constraints. And so what we're trying to do is help players – identify those constraints early on and develop a plan to work through those constraints so that they can get to their, uh, get to their goals. Awesome. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you, Pat, for coming on tonight. We, we appreciate you being here. Michael, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, really enjoyed the, uh, the, the roundabout with you guys on the teams. And yeah, thank you again for talking about my book and then allowing me to talk about team analytics. It's uh, been a blast to be with you guys. Awesome. And I want to remind everybody, hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. And be sure to pick up that book of uh, Pat's here, More Than the Score, How Parents and Coaches Can Culture Virtue in Youth Athletes. So make sure you pick that up wherever you guys can find it. Thank you for watching. We'll see everyone next time. Have a great night.